0: This morning I'm continuing in a sermon series through the book of Acts. Uh, It's the story of the early church. So far a lot has happened. Uh, Jesus, who had risen from the dead, spent some time over 40 days with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he ascends to heaven and he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until he sends his Holy Spirit to be the power of God inside of them. And so they wait, they spend time in prayer, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to empower the believers. They go out. They share the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died, risen from the dead, that all who put their faith in him will have eternal life. And on that first day, 3,000, it says, come to faith in him. A couple weeks later, 2,000 more. This church is growing like crazy. Uh, But as this community forms, this multi-ethnic community of people from all these nations coming together, there's also all kinds of opposition and threats that are coming against this early community. First is persecution. That there are Jewish religious leaders seeing what is happening, and they arrest the leaders of this early church, and they're telling them to stop it, cut it out, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But as you can imagine, the early apostles are like, We need to obey God rather than you. And they go out and they continue to preach the gospel, even at fear, a threat of their own life. The next threat, though, that comes from within, and that's what we looked at last week when Ryan Warner preached. Thank you, Ryan, for preaching. Uh, I talked about the threat of um, corruption from within, that we had Ananias and Sapphira and their hypocrisy in the community that threatened from within to destroy the community. But thankfully, the church passed both those tests. And now as we go to Acts 6, there's going to be a third threat. And it's a very subtle threat, but a very important threat that is a threat to the community, both the early community and to a community like ours today. And so I'm going to read just Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 today. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let me pray before we continue. Father, help us to understand what this means. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate this text in our hearts and apply it to our lives. That we might more closely resemble, Lord, that early church community and its devotion to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's one obvious threat in this passage, and there's kind of a subtle underlying threat that I really want to focus on this morning. But the obvious threat that you read about here is that as the church grows some of the widows are being overlooked. And in those days, as there were widows who didn't have family, the church took on the responsibility of caring for them and meeting their needs. And the Grecian Jews are the Greek-speaking Jews who had moved back to Jerusalem. The Hebraic Jews are the, you know, Hebrew, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And they had been kind of at odds, and Hebrew Jews looked down on the Grecian Jews. And so it might have been out of bias that there were some Jews, uh, some widows who were being overlooked, Maybe it was just poor administration, that as the church grew, they were having a hard time meeting all the needs. Whatever it was, there was a lot of grumbling and complaining going on because some people were being overlooked and not cared for. And maybe when the church was smaller, the apostles, the 12 early disciples who led the church, could take care of all the needs. But as the church grew, they were having a hard time meeting all the needs that were out there. So again, whether it was bias or poor administration... All the widow's needs were not being met, and there was a kind of grumbling and complaining building in the church. But there's a threat underneath the threat that I really want to focus on today. It's not just that, wow, the needs are great, we can't meet all the needs. The threat underneath the threat was the threat of distraction, that Peter, James, and John, the other apostles, as the needs grow and people are complaining, they said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of word and prayer to wait on tables. And so they say, we got to raise up people who can meet these needs. Because we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. So, yes, there's a threat, kind of the grumbling, complaining that's threatening the, disunity, the unity of the church. But underneath that threat is a more subtle threat that Peter, James, and John notice, And that is distraction. That because of the increasing needs, there's the temptation to be distracted from their main priority which is the ministry of the word and prayer, as they call it, to focus on waiting on tables and meeting the needs of the community. So they do two things to handle the threat that I want to look at this morning. The first is this. The apostles prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. Again, they see all the needs that are among them, but instead of taking all the needs on themselves, they say our responsibility, our primary responsibility, is prayer and the ministry of the word. That is not to say that the care of widows is a bad thing because it is a very biblical and important thing to do. Think of James, one of the early church leaders, wrote this himself. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So one of the early church leaders here, James, wrote this himself. That's how important he says it is to care for widows. And yet he's saying it's not going to be my responsibility here. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 37, and 40. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So here Jesus is saying, when you feed and take care of a widow, you're doing that unto God himself. Obviously, this is a very important ministry to take care of widows who are in need. But somehow the apostles feel like it's not our responsibility here. There's a priority that we need to attend to. So how do they know that? How do they know what their job is? Think of the marching orders left by Jesus. Remember, beginning of Acts, he said this to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Your job is to be a witness to what I've done, to my life, death, and resurrection. Or, as he said at the end of Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus had left them with these instructions. Your job, your responsibility is to go out and make disciples of all nations. Tell everyone in the whole world, everyone you come in contact with, about my life, death, and resurrection, that their eternal destiny depends upon turning from sin to faith in me. Baptize them. Bring them into a community where they're going to be cared for. They're going to learn to be taught everything that I've commanded you. That's your job, to go out, bring people into the faith, bring people to faith in me, bring people back into relationship with God. Teach them what it means to follow me. And so, as the needs increase in the community, the apostles, recognizing how important it is to care for these widows, also recognize that their priority is not to wait on tables. Their priority is this prayer and the ministry of the word. Because this task to preach the gospel and to raise people up in the faith is impossible apart from prayer. Think of what Jesus said in John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's prayer right there, remaining in God. That if you are apart from me, doing your own thing, it's going to be fruitless. You're going to fail. It's going to bear nothing. You need to be in prayer, he's saying, connected to me, as branches are to a vine. As you're going out to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, bring them into a community, and then teach them to obey, if you try to do that on your own, without prayer, without being connected, it's going to be fruitless. Why? Because this is the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In other words, it's a supernatural work to bring someone to faith in Jesus. You're not arguing someone into the faith, convincing them. Unless God, by his Holy Spirit, lifts the veil and allows someone to see him, they're lost. This is why Jesus said to the apostles in Acts 1, Wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with the Holy Spirit and power from on high. Because if you, in your excitement... To tell people about the resurrection, go out there and proclaim, Jesus is risen from the dead, no one's going to believe you, and it's going to amount to nothing. You need to wait until you have the Holy Spirit and then go out and share. Apart from Jesus, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fruitless because this is a supernatural work. And you're not going to be able to do anything supernatural, anything of eternal significance, unless you are connected like branches to a vine, in prayer. So, the apostles recognize, as the needs increase, their responsibility, their primary responsibility, is prayer and the ministry of the Word. That they need to make sure they are devoting serious time to prayer, to staying connected to God. One of my favorite definitions of prayer is this one, by Alvin Reed, he wrote this, Prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. because I'm sure prayer means different things to, to all of you, but I like this definition because it highlights that truly at its heart, what prayer is, is intimacy with God. It's a relationship with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes, not our purposes. It's not that I'm taking what I want, bringing it to him and asking him to bless and baptize it, that I am spending my time in the presence of God. We are spending our time in God's presence asking him to reveal to us what his purposes are, how we should be spending our time. Does that make sense? That's prayer. Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And so the apostles recognize that's what we need to prioritize. This whole church thing, this whole mission, it's not ours. It's not our creation. It's not our mission. It's his mission. It's his creation. It's his purposes. And we need to be in line with his purposes, with his mission, with his will. Otherwise, it's going to amount to nothing. The danger today, if I could fast forward to where we are today, one of the dangers today is that we have so many resources at our disposal, so many programs out there, so many church models, so many books and video series and all kinds of things that we don't think we're in the same boat as those disciples. We think we can just pick and choose and do whatever we want and grow a church, right? I mean, there are ways, right, that you can grow a church by human doing, not even depending on God, not even doing prayer, okay, right? If we pick the right songs and, and and make it flashy and showy and up-tempo and crazy, you know, like, we could. there's things we could do. Get a big building and great branding and marketing. There's all kinds of things that we could do to draw a crowd. Right? The people say, wow, look at that church, how amazing their website is, right? And how incredibly, you know, moving and inspiring that music is. and How the pastor talks like this, you know. like There's ways I can use my voice, you know, to kind of make it sound like we're doing something here. The Holy Spirit is moving. In reality, it's just man-made, trying to manipulate people. But somehow we've bought into the lie, so many of us, that it's about what we do in the flesh, what we can do, you know, what programs we do. That's how we're going to draw a crowd, right? That's how we're going to get people and grow a church is through man-made programs and ideas, not by the power of Christ and the indwelling spirit. I mean, again, step back and look at the big picture here. What does it show you? What does it teach you that the first century church grew exponentially? They didn't have big church buildings. They didn't have marketing and branding. They didn't have hip worship leaders, great sound systems. They didn't have any of that. And their church grew exponentially. How did it grow? Prayer, the ministry of the word, love. That was their marketing. That was their branding. They were connected to God. They were intimate with him. They were fulfilling his purposes. They were depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. This was in a culture that was anti-Christian, right? I mean, they would be killed for their faith, all of the apostles eventually. And yet the church grew exponentially. What does it tell you when you look around the world and you see where is the church growing and where is the church shrinking? In North America, in Europe, where we have all the resources at our disposal, the church is shrinking. In places like Africa, South America, China, where church is more underground, more poor, it's growing like crazy. What does that tell you? Could it be that we are perhaps trusting in the wrong thing and thinking that we grow a church the way businesses grow? Thinking that this is some sort of man-made enterprise, that if we trust in the things the business world trusts in, then we'll grow. No, the apostle said. We need to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is how God's church grows. That is how his mission is fulfilled. This is what, if you had to pick any couple verses about the power of God's word, it's these. Second Timothy three sixteen to 17, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, certainly you look at some churches out there and are like, boy, you know, The church is really shrinking in North America. The answer is we need to downplay this thing, right? We need to update this thing. We need to take the Bible, and we need to make sure that wherever it goes against the culture, you know, we kind of downplay the Bible and make sure we're in line with the culture, right? That's how some churches would see it. How are we going to stay relevant? How are we going to grow? We don't want to talk about things in the Bible that are things the culture doesn't like. We need to kind of mold this to fit the culture. And that will be a recipe for death. Because the power of God is found in his word. His timeless word that applies to all generations and all cultures around the world. And it's going to offend every culture at different places. But it is God's word. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. To be devoted to the ministry of word means that even today we're devoted to this. It's not about me sharing my thoughts, my opinions. It's about me trying to explain to you what God's word says, and what it meant in its original context, and what it means for us today. There's a great definition of preaching from Phillips Brooks. He said that this, preaching is truth poured through personality, which I like that. It's not that I'm just a robot up here. It's God's truth poured through my personality. But in the end, it's God's truth more than my opinions, more than my thoughts. My job is to teach you what God's word says, believing that the truth and the power is found in his word. And when you minister the word through discipling others, through Bible studies, through community groups, whatever form you do it, again, it's about his word. That's where the power is found, not in our thoughts and our opinions great example of that is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and feared, with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power." It's an amazing passage there where Paul is saying, you know, yeah, I know I'm I'm kind of famous here, but it's not because I'm eloquent, because I have superior wisdom. His, he's all about prayer and the ministry of the word. I'm coming to minister the word to you with the, the Spirit's power. I've been praying, I've got people praying for me, and that's what I'm doing here. I come with fear, trembling, in weakness but I'm preaching to you Jesus Christ and him crucified because that is where God is found. That is where the power of God is found. Or think about the apostles in Acts 4. When the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Again, just think of the contrast between here's the world's approach to growing anything, right? You find the superstars, you find the heroes, you... You do the great marketing and the branding and all these things. And there's a place for a lot of these things. But if our hope is placed in that stuff, the man made stuff, God is going to step back and say, All right, go ahead. You do your thing and see how it goes. The apostles recognized our priority has to be prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what's most important. That is how the church is going to grow. That is how the mission is going to be fulfilled. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. It's still prayer and the ministry of the word. However, having said that, in order to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word, they needed to do one more thing, which was this. They needed to empower godly leaders. Their answer was not, you know what, the widows are just going to have to suck it up, right? The widows are just going to have to starve. That's not their answer. Their answer is yes, yes. We need to make sure as a church we are caring for widows because that is God's heart. We as the apostles can't do that on our own. We can't wait on everyone's table. We need to make sure we're devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. However, we also need to empower godly leaders who can make sure that the widows are taken care of. In Acts chapter 6, what do they do? They ask the men to choose six men or seven men full of the spirit and of wisdom. Some of you might have recognized all the names. There are Greek names. They choose seven Greek men to to minister to these Greek widows to make sure they're cared for. Again, I don't think it's important that it was all men in those days. The important part of this is that God is raising up, asks us to raise up and empower godly leaders to meet the other needs, the other things that come along with being a part of this church. Because as the church will grow, what's going to happen? As the church grows it's harder and harder for a pastor or elders to meet every need. And what tends to happen is more grumbling and complaining as people get overlooked, as things fall through the cracks. And that's where, if there's wisdom among pastor and elders and leaders, they will raise up godly people and empower them to do those things that they no longer have the time to do so that they can focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, He said it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Did you notice what he said? That the role of the pastor and the teachers and all those church leaders is to prepare God's people for works of service. It's to empower people to serve in their gifting. That it's not there's one class known as the pastor and another class known as the lay people, right? But that we are all ministers. Every one of us. You are a minister. We're all ministers here. Gifted by God to serve. Each given different gifts to serve in different ways. But every one of us is a minister. And those who are the leaders are meant to empower God's people for works of service. To help them to recognize their gifts. To empower them and support them as they use those gifts in ministry. And so it says at the end there, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Certainly this passage shows how important the gift of administration is, which is a gift I do not have. But that gift of administration, the ability to raise up and and pull together teams of people working towards a task to be able to delegate, to be able to pass off things. It's, it's so important in a church. If those early apostles said, yeah, we need to make sure we're waiting on all these tables, the church would have just stagnated. But they recognize our job as leaders is to focus on prayer, to make sure we are connected to God, doing what he wants us to do, making sure that we're dedicated to the ministry of the word, preaching the true gospel, teaching God's word, not letting it get watered down. And we need to raise up leaders, people who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, to fulfill the other responsibilities. We have in in this church, we have men and women who serve in various ways, who make sure that people are greeted when they walk in the door, who make sure that there's food and coffee afterwards so people can stay and fellowship. We have people using their gifts in worship to sing, to lead music. People who pray before the service, lead prayer groups to make sure our church is devoted to prayer. People who are making sure the AV goes smoothly and that all of this is beamed out over cyberspace. There's people who lead community groups, host groups throughout the week where people can come together in deeper community. There's people who serve in this building, making sure this building is clean, that things are fixed. There's people who are serving in Sunday school and the nursery and youth group making sure that we are raising up the younger generation, discipling them as well. There are many ways to serve. There's people who reach out by phone, by letter, by visit to make sure that we're caring for the needs of each other. There's a website There's opportunities to write for the Weekly Pulse. There's opportunities to make sure that we are reaching out online via social media. There are so many opportunities to use your gifts and service. How would God have you serve? Where has he gifted you? And if you don't know how he's gifted you, try something. Try to serve somewhere and see. God has created and formed his church. He's raised up. Leaders whose primary responsibility is prayer and the ministry of the word. And in order to do that, they also need to empower godly leaders to serve in various ways, to make sure that people are cared for, needs are met, that we reach out to each other and love each other. And so I want to encourage you this morning. How has God gifted you? Where can you serve Him? Where can you serve your brothers and sisters? This is a very challenging passage for me. I struggle with, with this element of the administration, with the delegation, with the empowering godly leaders. I struggle with making sure I focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. I look at my schedule and the things I devote my time to, and often it is prayer that gets squeezed out by all the other responsibilities. And even though I recognize that sometimes, I still have a hard time figuring out how to pass those things off. So pray for me. Pray for us as leaders that we would improve the way we empower godly leaders and delegate and pass things off so that we could make sure that we as leaders are in touch with God, that we are pursuing intimacy with God that will lead to the fulfillment of his purposes, that we're not wasting our time doing things that he never asked us to do, right? But that we are doing those things that God has called us to do, that he's empowering, that he's going to bless And we need you, we need each one of you to consider how might God be calling you to serve him. We're so grateful for those of you who do serve in so many ways in this church, making sure that the needs are met and people are cared for. And So what I want to do is, since the focus is supposed to be on prayer and the ministry of the word, I want to spend a little time together in prayer before we respond in worship. First and foremost, I want to begin by going back to this verse, John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now let's take a couple minutes, and if you want to pray out loud, you're welcome to pray out loud for our church. If you want to pray in silent for, your, for yourself or for our church, pray along these lines, that we would remain in him, recognizing that apart from him, we can do nothing, That the things that we devote our time to, our energy to, would be things that are of him, of his initiation, not just doing the things that we think are important. So let's pray along these lines that we'd stay connected to him and follow his lead. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us for our prayerlessness, for our stubborn independence, for all the ways that we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can do anything apart from you, anything of lasting value. God, this uh, this church that you've called together, please help us not to waste our time, Lord, on things that don't matter, that you've never called us to. Deepen the prayer life of our church, Lord. May we be a church a community that is seeking you, desperate for you, truly wants to know your will, truly wants to follow your lead. Please reveal yourself to us in deeper ways. Please reveal your will to us, your purposes. What is the purpose of this church? What is it that you want us to do in this community, in this time and place? Speak to us, Lord. Help us to listen well to you and to each other. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so help us, Lord, to be connected to you in deeper ways. I just want to encourage you, one place to start is that we have pre service prayer nine thirty to ten every Sunday. That's one place to start. If you're like, I'm not sure where to begin with prayer, where to begin with seeking God for our church, for my life, 9.30 to 10 before the service, there's an opportunity to join together in prayer. Okay? So you're already coming here for 10. Come half an hour earlier. and Pray for God to move in our service. Pray for God to reveal himself. Pray for this community that we would truly be all that God has created us to be. 1 Peter 4.10, let's pray this together as well. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This one is between you and God. How has he gifted you? How is he calling you to serve others? I want to encourage you as well. You should all have a connection card in your bulletin. If you don't have a pen, there's pens in the back. But I would encourage you to consider and to write down your name and an answer to this and put it in the box in the back before you leave. If God is calling you to serve, there are needs in this church. The hope as we head to next fall is that we can grow our Sunday school, for instance, from one class to two classes. But in order to do that, we would need more teachers. Are you willing to teach? On a rotation once every four or five weeks? Do you have gifts that could be served in other ways, whether it's greeting, whether it's serving coffee ministry, whether it's hosting a community group or leading a Bible study, whether it's joining together in prayer, whether it's ministering to the youth or in the nursery, maybe it's cleaning the church? How? Might God use your gifts to serve others? So let's spend some time in silence between you and God this time, just asking him. And if there's a way, I would encourage you again, write it down and drop it in the offering box in the back, and we'll be in touch with you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would raise up men and women to serve you in various ways in this church to meet the needs, to care for each other. May we be a church of love, that loves each other the way you have loved us, that everyone who walks through these doors would be blown away by how we love each other, by how we care for needs, the way that early church met every need that there was. And you added... To their number daily those who were being saved as people saw the incredible community and how they loved you and loved each other. May that be true of us, God. Lord, help us to use the gifts that you've given us in service to each other. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.